Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I have a very exciting episode for you today featuring Jim Beard, Rich Hanley, and Charles R. Rutledge. We're really going to get into it. But before we do, I have some exciting news bites for you. Daytime Gothic is back for a second issue in 2024. Stuart Manning posted this. The new issue of Daytime Gothic will be over 130 pages, perfect bound, printed in full color, celebrating dark shadows in all its forms with essays, interviews, artwork, humor, and fiction, with proceeds once again going to charity. If you are a writer or a fan artist and you want to get involved, you want to submit your work to Issue 2, be sure to drop an email at collinwood80 at gmail.com and the guidelines will be provided for you. To receive advance information when the magazine will be available to order, you can sign up for email alerts. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Just the cover image that has been shared here is gorgeous. I assume this is going to be the cover. I hope it is because it's a beautiful image of Barnabas and Julia, blue and pink. It just looks fantastic. Really looking forward to that. What else have we got? As I've mentioned before, Catherine Lee Scott and Marie Wallace will be doing a meet and greet at Lyndhurst, the mansion used for Collinwood in House of Dark Shadows and Night of Dark Shadows. This will be happening on Saturday and Sunday, October 21st and 22nd, 2023, from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. and 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. on both days at the Lyndhurst Welcome Center. Tickets are $50 per person plus service fees. I will put a link to that in the show notes. That looks like it's going to be a really fun event just in time for Halloween. More exciting news. As I mentioned last time, Volume 2 of Our Shadowed Past is coming. Uh, Bob Issel has announced that the deadline for submissions for Volume 2 of Our Shadowed Past has been extended to October 20th. Our Shadowed Past features articles from fans about their experiences with Dark Shadows, how they discovered Dark Shadows, um, what Dark Shadows means to them, and you are welcome to submit as well. Bob is looking for uh, articles where you talk about your past with Dark Shadows and your present with Dark Shadows and anything you basically want to say and explore. He usually asks for two photos, uh, a present day photo and also a photo from your childhood during the time when you uh, first started watching Dark Shadows or when you used to watch Dark Shadows as a kid or when you discovered it, uh, sort of like a then and now kind of thing. And um, you want to send your submissions or if you have any questions to bobubas59 at gmail.com, B-O-B-U-B-A-S 59 at gmail.com. And again, the deadline for book submissions and photos is now October 20th, 2023. And the original book is available in Kindle format at Amazon. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Sensational book. And continuing on, The Dark Shadows Daybook Unbound by Patrick McRae is now available as an audiobook at Audible, read by Mary D. Johnson, uh, and it is available over on Audible. You will not be disappointed. Um, the next episode, I think it'll be the next episode of Terror at Collinwood, will feature uh, Patrick and Mary talking about that experience, and you can hear all about it. But you can get the audiobook of the Dark Shadows Daybook Unbound right now at Audible. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And finally, uh, I will be doing an appearance, or rather Penny Dreadful will be doing an appearance uh, at Monster Expo on Saturday, October 14th, and Sunday, October 15th, at the time Taunton Conference Center in Taunton, Massachusetts. From what I am told, the whole convention will be in 3D, so that'll be exciting. I don't know how they're going to pull that off, but I look forward to finding out. And I was asked to do a Dark Shadows panel 
at the convention. It's going to be like a Dark Shadows 101 kind of panel. I was asked to kind of uh, do an introductory panel for uh, the Dark Shadows curious uh, among us. <laughs> for those who may be interested in learning more about Dark Shadows, kind of, I'm going to give like an overview of the show and talk a little bit about the characters, etc. So I think that panel will be happening on Saturday. I'm not sure what time it'll be. Uh, when I find out, I will mention it here. And uh, I think that's it. So let's get to the show. to hide. This podcast is fun, but there are spoilers inside. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Penny Dreadful, transforming into the more mild-mannered Danielle, and I am joined here by my three special guests, Jim Beard, Rich Hanley, and Charles R. Rutledge. Jim and Rich are returning to the podcast, and Charles is a first-timer here at Terror at Collinwood, although I've been wanting to bring him on for a while, so I'm glad I'm able to get these uh, these three titans here to discuss our topic uh, today. Um, so just a quick intro here, Jim Beard has written official Spider-Man, X-Files, and Planet of the Apes, prose fiction, Star Wars, and Ghostbusters comic stories, and contributed articles and essays to several volumes of comic book and pop culture history. He has served as editor on several books, including Rising Sun reruns, D20 or Die, several books on Batman 66, and of course, Running Home to Shadows. Along with John S. Drew, he's the host of The Doctor's Beard, a Doctor Who podcast. Rich Hanley has authored fiction titles, features, and columns for Lucasfilm's licensed Star Wars universe. Rich served as a reporter for Star Trek Communicator magazine and has also written for several other genre magazines and websites, including Cinefantastique, Cinescape.com, which is now Mania.com, Dungeon Slash Polyhedron, Toons, the Animation Magazine, Star Trek Magazine, Sci-Fi Invasion, and Simeon Scrolls. He was the editor of Musings on Monsters, Observations on the World of Classic Horror. And finally, Charles R. Rutledge is the author of Dracula's Return and co-author of three novels in the Griffin and Price Supernatural Suspense series written with James A. Moore. His short stories have appeared in over 30 anthologies, including A Winter's Tale, Horror Stories for the Yuletide, Occult Detective Quarterly Presents, and Karnacki, The Lost Cases. He owns entirely too many editions of the novel Dracula, keeps actual soil from Transylvania on his desk, and is seldom seen in daylight. And uh, in fact, for the YouTube viewers of this episode, you can see that Charles was telling us that his image does not appear on camera, and thus that is why you just see his name here. So <laughs> welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. 
Oh, oh my goodness. Well, I, it's great uh, to have you guys back here. Well, Rich and uh, Jim, I communicate with, I've communicated with since, uh, you know, we've been on, uh, they've been on the podcast and uh, Charles, we, we, we've messaged each other a few times too. Um, but before uh, we get to, uh, I want to talk to Charles a little bit about his background on Dark Shadows, because I, I picked your brains, uh, Rich and Jim, about how you uh, got into Dark Shadows. Um, but how have you guys been? Like, I haven't seen you in a while. So how how are things? Good. I'm I'm here with with two of my most favorite collaborators and one of my favorite horror hosts. So how uh, bad could it be, right? Uh, <laughs> Same. Actually. Uh, good. <laughs> good. This is historical because Charles and I have never interacted like live, live. Really? You know, uh, yeah. Only so, dead. Uh, so, <laughs> Only through seance. Oh, Rich, Rich and I, yeah. Rich and I. Jim, Jim and I interact undead. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've never actually spoken, so right. right. Yeah, this is hi, first, hi so. Jim. <laughs> We're making actually the here. same is true for me and Charles. That is I've, true. I've oh, worked really? with Charles oh, too, okay. and also never interacted with him. So yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. I mean, verbally, yeah. Yeah, because I know you've all you've all been you know involved heavily in these books together, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. like Musings on Monsters and Running Home to Shadows and many many other projects. So, mm -hmm. um, cool. Um, well, uh, Charles, you know, um, as I said, uh, Rich and Jim both told me about how they got into Dark Shadows. So, what's your story with uh, with Dark Shadows? You know, I, I don't actually remember where I first uh, saw it. I was born in 62, so my memory gets going pretty good about 68. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I know I was watching the show uh, actually with one of my grandmothers. And um, it was kind of a um, uh, just one of those things where I saw it and, and immediately was taken with it. My first and strongest memory of it is the episode where... Barnabas thinks he's escaped the dream curse. He walks outside and the bat attacks him. And that was like a major thing as a, as a kid. I was like, holy cow. So yeah, just uh, kind of stumbled across it really. Uh-huh. Were, were you, uh, were you, a uh, you know, a horror fan or monster kid at that time yet? Or was Dark Shadows? Uh, yes, or... I was, I was already there. My mom actually, uh, I wouldn't call her what we, we think of today as a fan, but she did enjoy, speculative fiction she collected tarzan novels and comics and uh we would watch the dialing for dollars uh show in the afternoons yeah. and uh you had that and uh, they would have you know like classic monsters week you get a week of frankenstein you get a week of dracula drop in some gamera tarzan so uh, yeah i was very much already into that sort of thing mm-hmm fantastic yeah i used to love dialing for dollars i used to watch that too you'd see they never called me yeah, <laughs> I don't think we had that up here. We had, yeah. you know, the, the yeah. movie theme weeks, but I don't think we the four thirty movie for dollars. Mm -hmm. Also, oh. it sounds like Charles stole my childhood. I want it back. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching the Martian Chronicles on on dialing. Oh yeah, dollars. Yeah, huh. um, <laughs> they never called me either. I never, I never got a call from Dialing for I, Dollars. I feel very time. cheated now. So, <laughs> so, uh, well, I, I don't know what Dialing for Dollars is either. I just know I watched Martian Chronicles. It was, it was but, like uh, a, it was a movie show, but you could win money. Like they would call oh, randomly, call people uh, in the area, oh. and you could win money. And um, the guy, at least on the Boston Channel, that was like a this big tank filled with like these ping pong balls with I don't yeah, know same thing. Yeah, and then they randomly <laughs> pick one, and it would be. <laughs> they call the number on it or something realistically they were probably using the atlanta phone book and i wouldn't yeah. have been in it so <laughs> yeah. i had no chance 
<laughs> we also well, have, we, we um, go and ask my parents if if we had that in in Toledo. <laughs> yeah, we we, also, we I don't think we had that in New York, but we had uh, WPIX where they would play like Space Invaders, and kids would call in and yell "picks," and somebody at WPIX would push the button. And clearly the guy playing the game wasn't paying any attention to what the kids were saying because the kids would go, picks, 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 one shot, picks, picks, another shot. So it was very funny. That was about the only way anybody won money in my area. Well, we, um, in addition to that, we also had, you know, Friday Night Frights. We had a local horror host, mm -hmm. Dead Earnest. Oh, yes, so, Deadly. Yes, yep. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so we had, we had all of that. So, yeah, I was, I was very much into the monster thing pretty cool. early on. Very hmm. cool. Yeah, we had a creature double feature here, which was not hosted. Uh, at least when I was watching it, it wasn't hosted. At some point, Svengoolie syndicated clips hmm. from Chicago to Boston. And yeah, so we had Svengoolie for a little while, but um, it was, you know, a double feature on Saturday uh, at noon. It was like Saturday afternoon instead of going outside. I was watching Creature Double Feature. If they were showing the mummy's hand or, you know, <laughs> House of Frankenstein or something like that, or or Gamera or Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla, which they showed in way too much, but I watched it every time it was on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's me. That. I I was uh, Sir Graves Ghastly. Yes. He yeah. was like late Saturday morning, early Saturday afternoon. Uh, but my brother got the ghoul like late at night out of the cleveland area mm -hmm. and to this day i've never actually seen the ghoul i wasn't allowed to stay up he's four years older than me but but that was okay because sir graves ghastly was everything in the world to to me at that point <laughs> sir graves ghastly was amazing he was just yeah. such a classic great horror host and mark i guess the ghoul the ghoul was great too but he was more of a, like a anarchist like the the kind of the the teenage crowd, I think, was way into yep. the ghoul because uh, he was putting, he was a descendant, I guess, of Goulardi, and he was putting, yep. you know, Froggy in the blender and blowing things up and stuff. And Sir Graves yep. Ghastly was just very theatrical and hamming it up, but he was he was just so much fun. Did you guys get Chiller Theater in your area with the six-fingered hand coming out of the graveyard? I wish. No, I didn't. I've uh, That intro is classic, though, for that show. It, 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 it's like do it with just the six, yes. <laughs> yeah it's great. it's great it's like a claymation hand isn't yeah it? yeah it was a really bad uh stop animation with clay it, yeah like, <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm gonna have yeah. to i'm gonna have to look that up yeah oh, it's, yeah it's, it's, yeah it's probably would imagine it's probably on youtube yeah, yeah i'm sure it is yeah yeah I've, i know i've seen it before so, yeah it's, it's gotta be yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so did, did uh charles did you continue to be um uh, after that initial exposure to the dark shadows did you continue to watch it all the way through or was it a sort of sporadic or no i watched it all the way through mm -hmm. so i don't i don't think i watched you know the final part where they weren't in the the prime universe i guess mm -hmm. i don't remember that at all i think i must have gone well where's barnabas i'm out of here yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, the, the I don't end think of you were story. alone in that. <laughs> yeah. you, you beat me to it, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Sue Barnabas had to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I recently had a Elaine Anacanther on who was Jonathan Fritz's personal assistant during the run of Dark Shadows. And she explained, you know, a, a little gave a little insight about why that happened. And if you watch that Jonathan Fritz documentary, that Mary Leary director, there's another oh, yeah. component in there that shows Dan, Dan Curtis and Jonathan Fred, um, 
we're not seeing eye to eye because Jonathan didn't want to do Night of Dark Shadows. And of yeah. course, Dan Curtis was uh, infamous for his temper. So he was not happy about that. That did, uh, at one point, he was going to fire Jonathan Fred from being Barnabas. And then he didn't. Unreal. Yeah. And then he decided instead, he was basically said, if you don't want to play Barnabas um, in the movie, you're not going to play him in the show and told writers to create. Uh, Bramwell so where Jonathan played a different character and I'm sure he enjoyed playing a different character he got the chance everybody else got the chance to play a different character so but Dan I, I mean I love what the work Dan Curtis did but he is was known for having a sort oh, of yeah. a, a, wow. a temper so <laughs> at least half the cast at some point has commented on the fact that they were scared of him yeah <laughs> yes he was brilliant I mean he was brilliant mm -hmm. and uh and um I'm so glad that uh you know that he's uh remembered to this day for all all that he not only you know the horror stuff he did but winds of war and war and remembrance dark shadows all these great kolshak and so so many other great things that great version of jekyll and hyde he did with jack palance there's so uh, burnt offerings mm -hmm. so many great things that he did um so um but yeah he definitely could have a be have That's a temper how often that that happens where you like love the man's work but you can't love the man <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know I, i'm thinking of gene roddenberry and all the <laughs> stories of his little you know yeah. personal yeah. peccadillos and things like that but you you know he created star trek you can you, you know exactly you exactly yeah. exactly it's a, it's a great it's a great example jim and jim and i you know build our lives around the work of gene roddenberry basically yeah but there's there's no denying that as time went on, the the image he portrayed of himself didn't quite match the reality of himself. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah, um, I've heard uh, Darren McGavin. You could have, uh, you know, these big blow ups and and yep. kind of yep. like that. So that's that's the time when you really just have to focus on the work. Yeah. You know, and 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 try to remember, you know, why you love the the what they've created and yeah. not, try not to worry too much about that. Unless it's something, you know, that you just can't look past, like, you know, they gave money to the Nazi party or something. Well, right. Like yes. That, you know? <laughs> and, as yes. someone who is a great fan of Joss Whedon's work, I I get what you're saying. And there you go. The same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah, I was uh, I was. Uh... That was a bummer when all that stuff came out about his behavior. That's not cool at all. Um, Thankfully, no one ever said that about uh, about Jonathan Fred because that would have been devastating. All, yeah. I have only ever heard good things about Jonathan only. Fred ever. Um, mm -hmm. It's well, you brought up Joss Whedon. I had recently um, uh, uh, Todd McIntosh, who is a Emmy Award winning makeup artist on on the show, and he worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He also worked on the 2004 mm. Dark Shadows pilot that never got picked up, but uh, and he's a big Dark Shadows fan. And uh, it made me even angrier at Joss Whedon because uh, Todd went to one of the Dark Shadows festivals and talked to several of the actors and got their contact information and went to Joss Whedon and pitched the idea of bringing the uh having an episode with with dark shadows characters like a crossover thing uh with i don't mm. remember which actors i don't know if he's points that would have been wild i think lara was one of them i'm pretty sure um and joss whedon shot it down he didn't didn't want to do it isn't that a pain even if it wasn't the characters from the show it would have been I, I don't know if 
the characters from Dark Shadows, I don't think they would fit as well. Would it be in because they had gotten older? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, he, he, he built Buffy, other than, you know, Giles, he, he built Buffy around young, attractive people, and maybe he felt he couldn't do that with that cast. Well, I think it would have been a cool, like, one-off episode to have, even if it's not the characters from Dark Shadows, but maybe uh, just playing something similar, like, as a nod to it, you know. Yeah. I oh, no, I, would, I think that would have been fun. Yeah, I mean, totally. heck, you did a Dracula episode. Why not do a Collinsport episode? Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway. As a comic book guy, I'm all for the crossovers. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff, too, uh, or just, you know, a, a nod or 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 shout out to it. Uh, you know, um, like in the Supernatural series, they did a, an episode where the vampires are watching an episode of Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, and they yeah. comment yeah. on, why do they get to live in a mansion, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that you were bringing up Darren McGavin because it reminds me of how we were robbed of of the Kolchak X Files crossover. Yes, because, because oh. Darren didn't want to p- play it. He want he he'd be on the show, but he didn't want to play Carl. You yeah. know, again. so so we got we, Darren twice. But yeah. but uh, I'm, I mean, we got I'm kind of an unofficial one. at least. He kind of was an official one when the show came back and they were clearly doing a Kolchak without Kolchak. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the seersucker yeah. suit and the hat. Yep. Yeah. That yeah. was hilarious. I remember, yeah. I remember we're sitting there watching it going, why is that guy dressed like Kolchak? Is he supposed to be dressed like Kolchak? Same. Like, what? what? I laughed the whole time through that episode. I was like, this is very clever because you know, like, yeah. they got their cake and they ate it too. You know? Right. And that actor, it was uh, he was in uh, the movie version of what we do in the shadows. He was the we're werewolves, not swearwolves, that guy. And he was he was also in um, Flight of the Conquerors. Um, but yeah, the, they did bring Darren McGavin into X Files. That it, he was in it at least as he was like the founder of the X Files. Yeah, it? well, that's yeah. the cool yeah. thing is is that yeah. you know Chris Carter is always credited uh, mm-hmm. Kolchak for as a huge inspiration for X Files, and and so Darren got to be the creator, you know, the founder yeah. of the actual X Files in the show. Yeah. Oh, that's well, that, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I, 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 um, I, I would have loved to see it. And I, Unlike Charles, I'm not as big a fan of crossovers, and I think that would have been a whole lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And let's not forget the the time that uh, Kolchak met Barnabas. Yes, Mark Dewitziak. Yeah. yeah, in a comic and in a short story. Yes, right, yeah. right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, I had Mark on the podcast, and he told a great story about. Uh, you know, going to Dan Curtis's office and and, and ter- Dan liked Mark. Um, so it was great hearing stories about Dan Curtis and his interactions with Dan Curtis and pitching this idea to Dan. And he said Dan loved the idea of you know having his two horror big horror uh, guys meet each other. I was like, oh, that is, and it's a great story too. If you haven't read it, um, it's mm-hmm. oh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, if they had done the Buffy connection, that would also put Kolchak in the uh, in the in the Buffy verse. That's right. The because shared universe is a Mark's crossover. Right. right. There you go. There you go. Um, they did. I think. Well, I'm. I, I, we could just keep going. I wanna. I wanna. Uh, uh, as you can see, we're we're already down this rabbit hole of pop culture and talking about all these different things. It's what and we that, do, and that's that is the reason why in the I, shadows. Yes. <laughs> In or that's, out of the shadows, it's what we do. Yes. Well, rabbit holes are usually dark, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Maybe Bunnicula is in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the I, oh, the reason I wanted to gather uh, the three of you here today is that you've touched on 
many corners of horror, fantasy, and science fiction, and um, your spelunking, uh, as I said, into pop culture and speculative fiction has included Dark Shadows, but also many other things. And given that you've kind of seen it all from all of these different perspectives and that you've uh, done deep dives into many of these different uh, you know, pop culture worlds, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how and where you feel that Dark Shadows fits into this overall uh, collage, I guess, of pop culture uh, and specifically into monster culture as well. Um, it's interesting looking at the audiences for Dark Shadows because we have, you know, we have a mon the monster kids, definitely the horror fans. There's a, uh, that's a big part of it, especially kids who are growing up in the 60s and were big monster kids love Dark Shadows. There's also like there's soap opera fans that like soap operas and are not necessarily horror fans that like Dark Shadows. Um, there are like the teen magazine fans that are fans of like specific actors and are really into that and like Dark Shadows, but the focus is more of the actors um, and, and that sort of thing. So you have these different audiences for the show, but um, if we look at just the pop culture landscape based on your experiences, and we'll go, I guess we'll go um, uh, Jim, Rich, and Charles, what your thoughts are on uh, on all of that. You know, I think you kind of hit upon it there is that if anything, Dark Shadows is, you know, multi, multi-fandom, you know, that you can kind of get into it uh, in so many different ways. I think I've, I've chuckled. And when I think about all of the soap opera mothers and ladies at home who were exposed to stuff that they would probably never have been exposed to you know ever before and and that's kind of wonderful in a way because they didn't they didn't stop watching right you know they so now i'd love to know how many of them then went on to did they start reading vampire novels you know did they did did they start reading Lovecraft? <laughs> you know, if they had any idea what that is, so um, that's a tough one of, of of where to place it. I mean, as far as Monster Kids go, I think that it was cemented the day that it ended up in Famous Monsters. You know, that's when it made that big transition that that if Forey Ackerman thought it was good enough to be in Famous Monsters then I thought I think every every monster kid was probably more accepting of it at that point if they hadn't watched it um I you know you know you said it kind of before the show when you when you we were talking online or whatever I do worry that it is starting to be forgotten a little bit. And I know we want to talk about that down, down the road. Um, I think it might be slipping away, you know, somewhat compared to other things. Um, but um, I mean, it's definitely has probably the biggest place in vampire fiction. I think that's probably what its legacy is going to be. Despite all the other kind of monsters and all the other storylines, I think it's probably always going to be remembered for Barnabas. You know, a character that wasn't even there in the beginning, but literally just took over the show. Um, I, I, that's probably what I'm going to say is, is that that's it's, that's its biggest spot in pop culture and definitely in monster culture. Rich, how about you? Well, 
um, I, I hate to be one of those guys who says what Jim said, but what Jim said. Uh, <laughs> the, the I'd thing be is, honored. Uh, I'd be honored. I think. Uh, I think the one area where I disagree with Jim is about the fact that it's going to slip away. And I'll tell you why. It's a very simple reason. How many soap operas can you name that are in a complete box set missing only one, oh, minus one episode? But sure. most soap operas are never collected in physical media. You, you, you would need you would need a, a box set the size of this room, for example, for General Hospital or All My Children. But yep. the fact is it exists in, in physical media which is huge. And it, it's on multiple streaming services. And because of books like Jim's and, and others that have come out, new fans keep running into it. So where I will amend Jim's answer, which was an excellent answer, is that I think it its place is that it is something that transcends. It's not just a soap opera, because soap operas are often forgotten. How many people today can can describe other than diehard all my children fan how many people can describe the first 10 years of all my children um so it, it it's transcended soap operas because most fans can discuss the entire run it transcends horror because most horror uh does not start out as a as a as a non-horror vehicle uh that, that it, it, most horror doesn't start out as jane eyre um so it, it it transcends um uh it transcends uh soap operas in the well as well because most opera, most soap operas do not have a list of about 40 or 50 different pieces of literature that it's based on right i mean the list is is staggering jim mentioned lovecraft <laughs> how many soap operas would ever have a connection <laughs> to lovecraft yeah. right um and, you know that leviathan arc is just not the kind of thing that was on any 60s show, let alone a really uh, a, a one take soap opera. Right. And so I think that the, I think wh where I would place this show is that it is a soap opera that completely transcended the genre. And for that reason, I disagree that it'll be forgotten. Circle. Let's circle back on, on that. I won't do okay. it now, but I, okay. I have an addendum to that. too. Yeah. OK. And Charles? Well, you know, to uh, Jim's question, I mentioned I was watching it with my grandmother, and she definitely was only there for the, you know, relationship stuff, the soap opera stuff. She didn't care about the monsters at all. But I do think that makes an interesting point, because I was actually discussing this with uh, Jim and my mutual friend, Cliff Biggers. The It sort of brought, you know, the generations together. Because my grandmother could watch it just like she watched Guiding Light or Days of Our Lives. And I was getting, you know, basically Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman in daily doses. So, yeah, I think it, it definitely, you know, crossed uh, crossed those those two different territories and w was different things to different people. Uh, I think the major thing it did was, oh, there's my cat, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Bruce. Yeah, he's... <laughs> He's on the desk. Okay. The uh, <laughs> the major thing it did was make the idea of a human vampire. Uh, you know, th everybody's done it since we've, we've yeah. seen that over and over. Like he's not, he, he basically is just a human being that drinks blood. Dracula was a monster. You know, mm -hmm. uh, most of the other vampires, even 
you know, Rufin, those guys, um, they're monsters. They're predatory creatures. Their sole purpose is to propagate the vampire species to commit evil simply for the sake of being evil. Barnabas was human. Even when he was at his most vampiric, he regretted it. So we, how many times have we seen that since, you know, over and over. And Dan yep. Curtis carries it on to his Jack Palance Dracula, which influences the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's a big, big thing in the history of horror. Big time. Yeah. Angel. Angel. Yeah. I mean, you can go all the way back to, I mean, Blackula uh, and with the yeah, incarnated lost love and uh, yeah, Brian Rice, the Anne Rice vampire. She mm-hmm. was a dark shadows fan. I know that. Yep. Um, it's just you, you the, can also go back in the other direction and get your namesake because the Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire. Correct. Yes. But and most I wanna, people hadn't read it, so a I lot wanna, of people uh, yeah get credit Dark Shadows for that. Yes, yeah. I want to, and I'm wearing a T-shirt of Dracula's daughter, um, at Gloria mm. Holden as a uh, Countess Aleska. Um, there are precursors, yeah, to to Barnab. I love it's an underrated movie. I think Dracula's daughter, um, and Varney it's, the Vampire. It's, it's the definition of underrated. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's a cool underappreciated. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Bar- uh, Rich and I talked about this when we did the uh, Adam storyline discussion. Barnabas was not the first sympathetic vampire and somebody recently called out one of the guests for point saying oh barnabas was the first sympathetic vampire and he he was aware of the precursors but i think rich when rich and i talked it isn't that some a lot of the people that i've had on the podcast are certainly aware of dracula's daughter even house of dracula john carradine's dracula and house of uh dracula has some he wants to be cured of being a, a vampire there's some sympathetic element there and varney the vampire as rich said is mm-hmm. the probably the first sympathetic vampire in, yeah. in, in fiction um but uh, uh barnabas was the first that made a huge impact to the point where it all, I think as Mark DeWidziak said when he was on the podcast, it created a split in the predatory vampires that Charles yeah. described and the more sympathetic vampires with a conscience that Barnabas embodied. He had both, Barnabas had qualities of both. He could be, Barnabas could be very dangerous and, and scary too, but he was also guilt ridden and had Jonathan Frid loved playing those light and dark elements. Um, but Barnabas was not the first sympathetic vampire. He was just the most important sympathetic vampire. And I think that's a good distinction because I, I, I think, uh, I think the, the average, the average fan might not know about Varney. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and and so I, I think, I think Dan Curtis and Jonathan Frid get a lot of, deserve a lot of credit the fact that Barnabas made that something that you know ex, ex, it, it was expanded upon afterwards even if it wasn't the first it was far more impactful than what came before well I think that's the main the key yeah. point because mm-hmm. you always have like there was heroic fantasy before Tolkien yeah. there was cosmic right. horror exactly. before Lovecraft yeah. you know yeah. you can go back to Shakespeare right but there's always the guy who crystallizes it mm-hmm. and it was Barnabas yeah. mm-hmm Yeah, my thought is that Barnabas couldn't have happened anywhere else but on a soap opera. That Mm -hmm. that probably informed what the character became because they were, you know, the sympathy part was that the audience was predominantly women. For the and and, yeah, I think you're right. I think the fact is the reason that he continued 
was because they they were wise enough to to realize he needed to be somebody they could that the, that the, those watching it the housewives could and, right. and the children right. could could relate to. Well, I yeah. think if Jason McGuire had stayed on the entire <laughs> series, at no yeah. point would it have spawned an entire genre of con men trying to uh, you know to to, to, yeah. to steal, yeah right uh, yeah. Right? You know? Well, they had to they had to sustain the vampire, and also I mean even in the early episodes where Barnabas was really bad, but he had those glimmers of that you would even when I was a kid and I was watching it, you'd get, he'd have one of the lines he said, um, you know, they were talking about um, the, the predator that the person, the, that the attacker in Collinsport that attacked Maggie Evans, etc. He was talking to, it was Dr. Woodard. He said, you almost sound like you admire him. And Barnum said, no, in fact, I loathe him very deeply. And this was, you know, one of the early episodes, yeah. he, he infused some of the, the way he delivered the line it was he, there was an element of self-loathing there in your heart kind of and then they when they introduced sarah the ghost of sarah his sort of conscience mm -hmm. uh into the into the mix then you start really start to feel for for barnabas so um it was uh certainly the soap opera format yeah enabled I mean, if it them was, to if explore it was a single that. movie you wouldn't you wouldn't have yes. all that time to grow all that, to experiment, right. which to, is why House of Dark Shadows is the way it is. Yeah. yeah to, yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. To to get mm -hmm. viewer feedback. Yeah. And and they'd say, okay, well, you know, I think we're heading in, or you know, and again, it, it probably couldn't have happened the way it did on right. anything but a soap opera. And you know, it's I tend dark yeah, bar, I Dan Curtis. You, uh, it's an, an interesting thing too because Dark Shadows is also like rich mentioned the, the penny dreadfuls um dark shadows is a throwback to that um the soap opera format happened to work very well in that serialized gothic style where you get one chapter at a time as it the story unfolds and a lot of that fiction back, uh, that was really jekyll and hyde was a shilling was shilling shockers mm -hmm. you know they were released in installments um and dark shadows kind of with a cliffhanger and everything and this uh, you know uh these heightened emotions and 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 things like this it totally dovetailed because dan curtis didn't want to do a soap opera he was wanted to he pitched dark shadows as a nighttime show they were they gave him the soap opera format to use the daytime so he's like oh and then he did what he wanted with it which was started out as a that jane Eyre gothic romance more and and radcliffian kind of a thing but it evolved into this horror gothic horror gothic romance blend of dark fantasy kind of thing um but that format that serialized format worked very well and now all of these uh, a lot of these shows like that um uh, those those horror shows and fantasy shows genre shows are tend to be serialized like you have to watch each chapter to find out what happens next people take that for granted now and dark shadows kind of broke the mold in that well no it's not true doctor who did too but doctor who was mm -hmm. like it was contained you know it was a, a one story right and it, yeah, but it was not still every episode them serials, was yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah they they're anywhere from you know three to six to eight sometimes 12 parts but yeah there is yeah. you know there's a conclusion at the end of each story though at the mm -hmm. end of yeah whereas dark shadows had 1224 yeah figures, yeah which is Does kind that... of absurd when you think about it yeah, <laughs> yeah. So does that make Doctor Who a soap opera too? Like is all serial, let me, like comic books, for example, like 
Oh, I've heard a lot of people say that too. Like so comic books now are soap operas because kind of, because they're like dealing with a lot of relationship stuff in addition to the superhero adventure stuff, but they always have, you have to, I used to, when I was a kid, I remember I would just pick up an issue of a comic book and I could read the story and it would be self-contained and a lot of those issues. Now they tend to be very serialized in, in the style. Spider-Man is considered to be a comic book soap opera part the 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 original you know the first spider-man and and i think mm -hmm. stan lee even had said that that's the way he was writing it that's the way mm -hmm. he was you know like putting it together because it it was more almost more about peter's personal life than necessarily him fighting bad guys in a costume you know i think a lot of people were picking up that book to see you know, was it going to end up with Gwen or was it going to end up with Mary Jane? I, I've been or, reading a lot of those issues you know, lately. Was it going to ever yeah. get paid by J. Jonah Jameson? Yeah. You know I mean? So that's, <laughs> yep. that was most definitely soap operatic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I've been reading those issues and you're totally right. I, I have a collection, you know, I picked up a collection. It's the, the Gwen State, when Green Goblin, uh, kills Gwen Stacy spoilers for <laughs> sorry I should have said spoiler no, it's so I, spoilers for comic books from you know 50 years ago but uh which is the same with dark shadows I always put a spoiler tag at the beginning of the show but yeah it is kind of like that it does have that kind of thing going on um you said you wanted to circle back Jim and say something else so I, what want, was that? I want to explain myself a, a little mm -hmm. bit and, and what I'm talking about as far as the concern about it slipping away for for things to last obviously it has to start to draw in new people mm -hmm. and that would be where my concern is there's there's the dark shadows audience and i would say for the most part that they've been around for all this time now <laughs> you know i i worry that it's not accessible and by that i mean not accessible to new people coming in it's you have to admit it's probably pretty daunting when you have how, how many episodes is it it's over a thousand one thousand two hundred twenty five there you go um even if you have a fan who says oh well i can point you to you know the best parts to me it's something where you're you're not really maybe getting the, you know, everything. You're not seeing the lead ups to thing. If you're jumping in at, okay, I'm just, I'll say the dream curse, you know, how uh, you're not getting everything that led to that point. Right. Um, By the way, I would not recommend jumping <laughs> in at the dream curse. <laughs> but yeah. Now, now be careful. I knew somebody who loved the dream curse. I, I <laughs> love the dream curse. I don't mean, I that, I don't it, mean that I would... to denigrate the storyline, just that that would be a really bad story. No, I know. I just, you know what? I'm, I'm I follow what you're, yeah. I just mean that that's a storyline that if you'd never seen what came before, you might not watch. I, I'd say, I always say uh, 1897 is a good place to jump in, episode 700. There you go. But, you know, Rich made a great point as far as it's, you know, one of the only soap operas that's on physical mm -hmm. media. And mm -hmm. that in itself is a good thing. But again, having that many episodes, that many storylines, that many characters, characters that change so much, uh, uh, different realities, you know, how accessible is it to a, a new person? How daunting it is. 
I'm not. Well, I can tell you that I have three friends right now watching it for the first time, and all okay. of them reporting into me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Where did you have them start, Rich? It's oh, always the beginning. What's that? You had them start. I, I think that the only way to watch the show is from episode one. Awesome. I, Good. Cool. As as an OCD person, I would I would agree with that. But but see, I don't know if I could necessarily honestly tell somebody to start at the beginning and have to <laughs> sorry folks, slog through all of that to get to bar. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of people, there would be a lot of people who would yeah. tap out. Um, yeah. I even honestly, I've had I had a friend who loved Barnabas and started watching those early Barnabas episodes, and even she tapped out because I think it was still too slow for. Her. I'm like, really? Like even yeah, the, see, but, but I think once you get the to other thing. yeah, that's that's the other thing. Um, I I am in a position where Mash, the TV show Mash, is a large part of my life. Mm -hmm. I, I won't go into detail of why that is, but I talk <laughs> to people all the time about it. Um, it is slipping away more and more. It is yeah. probably the greatest TV show of all time, if not one of the you know greatest TV shows of all time. But I, I see it all the time. Young people, they don't know it unless they have a parent or a grandparent that are sitting them down and mm -hmm. saying, watch this show, it's valuable. There is worth here. And 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 hoping that they will pick up on that same thing. But again, I don't know if you're if you're not starting from the beginning, M MASH is not the greatest example as far as you probably can come in at different places with mm -hmm. with MASH. But but that's that same feeling that I have with Dark Shadows is that um I worry that the the core fandom is aging out. And and if we're not having a good influx of a lot of new or younger people, then what happens to Dark Shadows? You know, that Star Trek doesn't have that problem. Star Wars doesn't have that problem. You know, I'm trying to think of other big things, but I- Planet I, of the I, Apes? Like, what is the difference? Let me ask you that. Like what continues to bring new people in to Star Trek, Star Wars, Planet of the Apes. Modern day versions of the yeah. franchise. New iterations. New iterations. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what's the difficulty. Is like if you look at there have been three attempts now to bring well four attempts to bring back Dark Shadows. Mm -hmm. The first one lasted a dozen episodes. The, the 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 second one only lasted a half an episode. The third one was a film that tanked, and the fourth didn't even get made. So yeah. that's the problem, I think, right there. We if an if the show came back yeah, and right. succeeded. Everything Jim is validly concerned about would go away because people would watch it to catch up the same way they do with the original series on Star Trek. And it's what so, happened with Doctor Who great. too. I mean, right? Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, when they yeah. when I mean they Perfect went back, yep. they went back example. and watched the old stuff yeah. because they they got into it and they like they said, "I want to see what came before." That's why mm -hmm. I've been on the cheerleading Mark B. Perry's reincarnation show, which hasn't gotten off the ground, but I heard from him recently and they haven't, he hasn't given up on it. I mean, the writer's strike and everything kind of has slowed things down, but he's, he, he said, I'm still climbing Widow's Hill. I'm, he's, I'm determined to, to see this through. He's really uh, trying to get it on one of the streaming channels. Um, I do know that the Burton film did hurt things a bit in some places sure. because it didn't it had people had a bad reaction to that um but i think it, i like the idea of coming in doing a serious sequel series 
to the original series where everything still happened in the original yep. show, but now we find out what's going on now. We can explore what happened in the interim. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of room to play there. And I agree do it while we still have surviving cast members. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because I, th I think that's one of the things with Doctor Who in particular is it's not a reboot. It's just what's happening later. And mm -hmm. they've really made a good effort, especially in the last couple of years, oh, yeah. to bring in old companions, old yes. enemies, the mm -hmm. actors who are still alive. I thought, you know, getting Ace back was genius. Mm -hmm. It was Ace. <laughs> uh, there is also uh, an Ultraman did that same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Ultraman being the almost the Japanese equivalent to Doctor Who as far as, you know, a culturally significant show within its own country and that has been running almost continuously since the 1960s and for the most hmm. part has uh the Showak continuity lasted up until 1980. And then they picked it up again um, uh, much later on with a show. Um, isn't it terrible? It's, it flew out of my head. But later on, in uh, after the year 2000, they, they picked it up again. But that's that same thing is, is that they keep connecting back. They, they, mm -hmm. they you know, all of the main um, uh, actors are still alive and they will bring them back as much mm -hmm. as possible. Sometimes the supporting actors. Uh, yep. They'll bring back um, particular uh, monsters and alien, you know, species, and then and then they do things like Shin Ultraman, where they do a whole <laughs> new, you know. So if 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 only Dark Shadows could do that, then that would go such a long way, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to 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 you know keeping it in the world. Yeah. That. Would you rather see that uh, sequel versus a remake or a reboot? Yes, I absolutely. would. Absolutely. Because honestly, I think it, 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 it hasn't been done before. Yep. So why not see if that's what, you know, is the one that finally right. keeps dark shadows in, in the public eye. Yeah. Um, because three reboots did failed to do it. The one yeah. that hasn't been made is the, is the continuation. And I think that's the one that has the shot. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you're, you're also going to draw in a great percentage of the, you know, the current fan base, you know, another mm -hmm. reboot, you might lose how many of those people, yeah. you, you know, yeah. I, I don't think I'd watch a reboot. Would you accept a new actor as Barnabas? Can they do Dark Shadows without Barnabas, though? Yeah, they did it. They, they've done it in the audios. That's true. That's true. although they, they did bring him in. He had to change his appearance in the audios. Well, and, right. And yeah. He is, the yeah. character is there, though the, the Barnabas right. character. So did, could do would you be okay with recasting the role? Then? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the the dissenting vote here. I I I. I don't think I would. I think I'd rather have it be written in a way that his presence or spirit or legend hangs over the storyline. But yeah, I think that would be hard. I think that would be really, really hard, you know, to to see somebody else. They'd have to just be so good. I would have said that at one point, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, Mark, when Mark DeWidziak was on here, you know, he he talked about you know great roles in in theater yeah. 
and Shakespeare and that many different actors can, uh, Richard Burton can play Hamlet, or Laurence Olivia can yeah. play Hamlet, Is Barnab yeah. can Barnabas be played by different actors? Well, well when you have one guy, you yeah. know, who, who created, see, that's where I get What about Leonard Nimoy as Spock, though? They've re they've done new. I know. At this point, we've had a dozen different actors if you count them. the young ones. Yeah. You don't like the new any of the new Spocks? People have brought, when I complained about you know, recasting the Star Trek roles, people said, you're a Batman fan. Batman's been played by how many people? And I said, but that's because Batman existed before he was yeah. ever on celluloid. Right. Um, um, uh, William Shatner is a co-creator of the character of Captain Kirk. It's hard for me to take him out of that equation. And I get it. He's too old to play the part or whatever. I don't expect that. It's like, I would rather just have it rest, you right. know, than, than let because me, let me ask you this then, Jim. How do you feel about the second Sam Evans? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I say that because if we had kept the first Sam Evans, I don't think any of us would like Sam Evans, right? Or Willie, <laughs> how about Willie? Wait, or Willie? Okay, Rich, let's talk about Burke Devlin. <laughs> I, I'm oh, so sorry yeah. because I, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm challenging you on everything. No, Burke, Burke no, no, Devlin. No. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Good counterpoint with Burke. Oh Devlin. no, no. I agree with you on Burke. Yeah, it's yeah. it's second Burke Devlin or nothing. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you can. I don't think anybody will ever, you know, surpass Jonathan Fritz's performance. But I think somebody could. If they cast somebody with gravitas and who could, who had that kind of background as an actor, that yeah. could maybe you could do something where it, you have a new person, maybe bringing a new, his, their own spin to it. I mean, I thought Ben, there, I had some issues with Ben Cross, but I thought, you know, if you're going to cast somebody as Barnabas who isn't Jonathan Frid, I thought he did, he was pretty good. I, you know, and I, I, like I lived, with, I lived yeah. with somebody who loved Jonathan Frid more than yeah. uh, I thought possible for a human being, but liked Ben Cross yeah. a lot. Yeah. He, and liked um, Jim Fife. Fife, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he and, was too Don Knotts for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's Barney Fife. Yeah, <laughs> but you know who uh, and this and this person loved john carlin to death but yeah. but did did actually I, like Jim yeah he was funny uh, like you know, i very much agree with becky because yeah willie the new willie was a lot funnier than i was expecting him to be not love honestly i didn't think it was a great show but i did think that the casting for the most part was really quite good yeah. yes as yeah, soon as she, I found yeah, out Barbara Steele was playing Dr. Julia Hoffman, I was all in. I was like, they cast yeah. Barbara Steele as Dr. Hoffman. That's amazing. So Gene Simmons as Elizabeth. Yes, what a great That's choice, too. Yeah. Roy Thinnes as Roger. He he didn't capture the Roger quality that I was looking for, but it's Roy Thinnes. I mean, yeah, well, there's famous. no yeah. there's no replacing Louis. <laughs> no, never. No. <laughs> you know, there's no replacing Laura Parker either, but I have to True. admit that I liked Angelique. Was that Anthony? Lizette Anthony, Lizette Anthony. Yeah. Anthony. is it Goings? Going, yeah. Joanna Going, yeah. I thought she was really. He was good. very good. Yes, I agree. I, I'm going to say something blasphemous. I think, I think she's the best Vicky of all of them that we've ever had. Ooh, I'm fighting words. You can send your your hate mail to Rich. <laughs> No, yeah, she was sorry. very good. I thought if we had six Vicky, I think she's the best. Yeah, she was very. She was very good. 
Yeah, Sorry, Alexandra. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, and I, and I know that I know that that, that Alexandra has her has her um, her fans, and my stepmom is one of them because she loves to talk about the fact that she went to acting academy with her. <laughs> oh, did but, she really? Uh, That's yeah. I, even yeah. before I had seen Dark Shadows uh, regularly, yeah. uh, I had uh, uh, I have a stepmom who's a, a person who went to acting academy and then didn't become an actress. And it was it matters to her a lot that she went to school with Alexander Moe. Wow, that's uh, so, so cool. yeah. But but despite that fact, I have to be honest and say that I I thought going was of the six actors who played her in the various media. Yeah, I thought she was the best one by okay. far. And I know you're probably going to get a ton of hate mail for me over there. They can send it to you, <laughs> yeah. Charles. What about you? Oh, I was just wondering how anyone could think that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I love Joanna going too. She was great. But I mean, to me, the, the sort of the archetypal Victoria Winters is, let, is out. Let me throw this out here. <laughs> now, say that, okay, we're not going to have Barnabas on a reboot. Uh-huh. Would you be okay if we had another vampire who had a similar issue? Hmm. I think it could work. Particularly if it was somebody who was related. You know, we don't know what happened with... Barnabas presumably was human at the end of the series. Yep. If he and Julia had any children, yeah, and one came back to Collinwood searching for his roots and somehow gets vampirized, and then he's heard everything from his father all these years, so he has a layer there that he has to deal with. All right, I am on board. <laughs> I'm on board with 98% of that. I am never. I've never been someone... Who agreed with the fandom that Barnabas should have ended up with Julia? I I agree with you, uh, Rich. I don't think that that would happen. No, I'm yeah, not I saying that, can, but that's yeah. kind of that's what yeah. Sam Hall sort of led us. Yeah. Oh, to. I know. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. Saying, he was also yeah, married yeah. to Grace. Sure. I, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. I wouldn't Maggie, want that either. But that's kind of where they, you know, that's where they went. If if Maggie I, I, gets out of Wincliffe, Maggie gets with out mother. of Wincliffe, she comes back. Her and Barnabas get married. How's no. should, okay, let me. Should I Barnabas, think it should be none of the women Barnabas ever abused. Yes, <laughs> yes, agree. Yeah. Should Barnabas? I this. I'm gonna just throw. Da, da, I am Danny Horn posted this on his blog. I'm should Barn? Why should Barnabas be with anyone? <laughs> Barnabas has caused so much damage to. I love Barnabas Collins. He's mm -hmm. my favorite fictional character. But, but and he deserves I, but I, to die alone. But no. I, no, not die. Just live forever. <laughs> no, no, no. Barnabas is Barnabas loves women too much. <laughs> I, he's he's almost addicted to women. He I think he will always look to be with somebody. I think he would hurt Julia. Like I don't think that he. Mm -hmm. I don't I think he loves Julia. He cares for Julia. I don't think he is in love with Julia. And you can't oh, yeah. force I, that to happen. I, I mean, it just I mean it's not I feel Barn Barnabas is a dog in many ways. Barnabas yeah. is a dog. He has a, an eye for the beautiful ladies. He treats them badly. And I love Barnabas. I think I oh, yeah. his dance the, the train wreck that is Barnabas Collins is <laughs> is fascinating. And I love Barnabas and I, you know, root for him when he's doing cool things, but I don't 
Pardon the interruption, and if you hate these interruptions that I sometimes feel compelled to put into the podcast, please let me know. But I, I wanted to elaborate here. I'm one of those people who hated the fact that Mulder and Scully got together on the X-Files. I thought they worked better as allies and friends, but there was this tidal wave of people at that time, I remember, that really wanted them to be uh, a couple, and Chris Carter caved and did it, and I, I hated that. I thought they worked better as friends. But there's this tendency that a lot of fans have to always do this shipping thing and put people in relationships. And Barnabas and Julia is a big one. We saw that Julia was in love with Barnabas. And as their relationship grew over the course of the show, this has this became a, a thing. And I know there are going to be Julia fans that are going to be coming after me with pitchforks and torches for saying this, but I, I just don't see it. I have many male friends, some of which are very dear, close friends. I have friends who are like my brothers. That doesn't mean we need to be together. They're family to me, you know, and I, that's how I see Barnabas and Julia as their relationship developed. I love the symbolism uh, there of identifying themselves as brother and sister in 1840. Um, yes, I, I, that's, that's, that's kind of how I see that dynamic or the Holmes and Watson dynamic that developed uh, as the series went along. I get that many fans identify with Julia's unrequited love and we've all been there. Well, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of people have experienced that. Um, but I don't, I just don't see that relationship working. For one, just because one person is in love with another person doesn't mean that person has to love them back. Um, and he surely, clearly cares about Julia. And he is clearly aware of the fact that she has those feelings for him, but he doesn't discuss it with her. It's too awkward and it's hurtful. He doesn't want to go there. He is aware of it, um, but he's not in love with Julia. You can't just, if somebody's in love with you and you love them, you care about them as a friend and you find out they're in love with you, your heart might break for them, but it's not going to mean that all of a sudden you're going to realize that you're in love with them most of the time, a lot of the time. I mean, hey, that's happened to me. I've had somebody express that to me in the past uh, and it, I didn't feel that way. I'm not going to pretend that I do because that's just going to end very badly. That's not going to work, right? I mean, think about it. I know we're talking about fictional characters as if they're real people. It's kind of ridiculous. But this is what I love doing is exploring this kind of stuff. So uh, excuse me for that. Also, continuing on, 98% of the time, Dark Shadows doesn't have happy endings. There are a few exceptions, mostly in 1841 parallel time when they wrapped up the entire series. Um, and in the regular time band, it seems that Desmond and Letitia have a happy ending. But we didn't see how that went 10 years down the road. I don't know. But we know 1841 parallel time, those couples had happy endings. Most of the time, Dark Shadows doesn't have happy endings. It's one tragedy after another. And uh, we all know it. So I love Julia and I love Barnabas as characters. But I just don't see anything resembling a healthy romantic relationship happening with Barnabas and Julia, or really, I have to be honest, with Barnabas and anyone, um, there's just a lot of damage there. Think about what he became undead, even if this is a Barnabas with the curse lifted. Think about all of the intense trauma and damage. He was an undead creature of the night for almost 200 years. He is a mass murderer. He has coldly murdered people. Even when he was being heroic, he still murdered a lot of people. Julia could kind of be amoral and self-serving, especially early on. Julia, and as a usually duplicitous character, she lies a lot, but she's not at that level of what Barnabas has done. I, I just, you know, I just, and Barnabas, as uh, uh, Rich and Jim pointed out here, Barnabas has an eye for the young ladies, the sweet young things. That's he, the fandom always jokes about that, but that's 
kind of what Barnabas always does that. So what happens when Maggie Evans gets out of Wincliffe or the next Josette lookalike comes along or uh, Roxanne shows up again somehow? You know, there's just, I just don't see it happening. And I don't see it happening really with Barnabas and anyone until maybe after about 200 years of therapy uh, and then the curse is lifted, then maybe Barnabas is ready to enter the dating scene. I don't know. Uh, but, and I love Barnabas. He's, he, Barnabas is also can be very heroic. He was the defender of the family in many ways. He was also the murderer of many family members uh, as well. That's what Jonathan Freud loved playing. He loved playing the, the good and evil in that character. The darkness in Barnabas is a whole lot darker than the darkness in Julia. And I don't know, like, I, I just, I just think that's bad news. That's why I always say Barnabas and Angelique, there's, there's some, there are a lot, a lot of people hate Angelique, but there are a lot of similarities between the two of them. A lot of people hate Adam too, for the very things that Barnabas embodies. Adam is, is uh, a dark shadow of Barnabas. Adam is very similar to Barnabas in many ways. And guess what? Adam, I also think will end up alone. Too. Uh, I think Adam is wandering the earth or probably got thrown back in time when Barnabas went uh, to the past. Maybe their tie got severed somehow. I don't think the Sam Hall article is accurate in how it describes what would happen to Adam. Um, the Sam Hall article was written without Dan Curtis. Okay. Dan Curtis is the one who made all the big decisions on the show. He called the shots on story, on character, with input from the writers. Absolutely. They would pitch stuff to him. He would either like it or dislike it. And he would tell them, we're doing this. Find a way to work this into the story. He was in charge. He was not involved with this article. Sam Hall wrote the article. Sam Hall was the head writer on the show or, you know, unofficial head writer on the show, but he was. Um, but uh, he's not the end-all be-all. Without Dan Curtis's seal of approval on that and Dan Curtis saying, yep, that's what would have happened. It's not the real deal. Um, it's not canon. There was no input from Gordon Russell as well. Gordon Russell, major writer on the show, along with Sam Hall. Violet Wells, uh, who was still involved up until the end, but ghostwriting scripts. Uh, for Gordon, uh, and she was credited all through 1897, but she also wrote a bunch of other stuff too in the show. I mean, yeah, Sam, absolutely. Some of those ideas Sam Hall had may have found their way into the show. Some of it wouldn't. So it, thus, you know what? It uh, It's not canon. And if that Sam Hall article is part of your head canon, great. But I put that Sam Hall article in the same category. I put Return to Collinwood. All right, or the big finish audio dramas. It's interesting. You got the original cast back doing voices, playing their characters again, but that Sam Hall article is parallel time. It's one parallel time. The big finish audios, a different parallel time. The Ross novels, a different parallel time. That's how I see it. And I know a lot of people just shake their heads and go, oh, why are we talking about canon? That's what we do, man. Uh, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> that's what these fictional worlds are there for. It's fun to explore those fictional worlds and discuss what's canon and what's not canon. You ever bring up canon to a Star Wars fan and see what happens? If you tell them, well, canon doesn't matter. Uh, good luck with that. You're going to be in for a near fall on that. And Star Trek, all and Dark Shadows is, hey, it's part of that uh, ongoing massive universe with a lot of world building, right? So of course, we're going to talk about what's canon and what isn't canon. So uh, it's an interesting debate. What do you think? Do you think the Sam Hall article is canon? Is that what happens next? Do you believe that? Do you believe Return to Collinwood is canon? What is, what's your take on that? Leave a comment if you're watching the YouTube version of this or drop me a line at terror at collinwood at gmail.com and let me know what you think. For me, it's what happened in the show is canon. Everything else is gravy. All right, let's get back to it. I mean, ultimately, he says he loves Angelique, and it's like, well, that 
that's interesting but it is yeah. it kind of makes sense i always kind of see the two of them as kind of two sides of the same coin in i mean realistically it wouldn't be that difficult to bring her back either oh totally yeah she'd be great yeah, yeah. i mean lara's uh i it would be great to see lara back uh i don't know when she's... i was i was just watching that episode the other day and i'm like well you know she's shown up in so many different time periods sometimes mm -hmm. she remembers things sometimes she doesn't yeah, yeah. so you killed her at this time period you're gonna see her as you know as cassandra later yeah yeah <laughs> there's a lot of ways to work that we we can we can work around this when yeah. she works for the devil it's very easy to oh, find a way awesome. yeah. totally right yeah. yes that was exactly. so cool. her boss is literally satan so yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very easy to find a way to bring yeah. her back if yeah. See, yeah. We're practically there and Quentin, <laughs> if they, I mean, Quentin would be difficult because unless they figured out a way to, yeah. if they brought David Selby and well, they could Selby. say that he is purpose, he has artificially aged himself so people don't notice that. He's oh, may, maybe got Angelique to make him look older. Well, yeah, would be interesting. Or at a certain point, he destroyed the painting. But then wouldn't he revert? He revert to being a werewolf. Yeah, well, also, that's the other thing. He'd be a werewolf, but wouldn't he also turn into what the painting was? A hundred like? years old, yeah. <laughs> like a hundred years old. I always wanted to see what the, uh, like they showed what the Dorian Gray painting in the present mm -hmm. day, what it looked like. I always wanted to see it during a full moon, like in 1970, <laughs> to see if it's like an old werewolf. Really old they should have done that. That yeah. would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can still um, do it. So it might be necessary to recast somebody, but uh, yeah, yeah, very. Ironically, cool. the one that would be the easiest to bring back has no interest, and that's David Hennessy. Oh well, uh, he's in Panama as a successful restaurateur. He's been. He's yeah. also he's been... the easiest to replace, though, because people often look nothing like themselves when they're old. Right, right. Yeah. Although, yeah. I, although, yeah, although I, I got you know when he, they did that reunion, I was like, damn, he looks like an older, bearded version of himself as a kid. That's yeah, like, he yeah. does. He really does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to see he's yeah. been doing more stuff lately. And yeah. um, Alec Newman, who played Barnabas in the 2004 unaired pilot, is David in the audio Big Finish audios, and he does. A good job good. as David. Wow. I think yeah, I he does see, a great job as him. I could see uh, him as a live action David too. He would be he'd mm -hmm. be great. Um, but um now one thing too, I think uh, when we talked about the idea of dark shadows kind of slipping away in pop culture a little bit, although hey, we're on a dark shadows podcast talking about dark and you all participated in this great book about yeah, that's, that's why I don't think it's yeah. going away. It's so, yeah, um, and yeah. apologies, apologies to my co-guests but we're the old guard though yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. You know? true well hey you know well, i i had a, the, a group of young fans out in their 20s on uh they run a dark shadows discord uh and so i was glad to see uh, a Good. new generation of dark shadows Good. fans Good. um and they have their they, own they see they they're the ones they've got to keep passing it on you, you gotta know? keep yeah and keep uh, so even we do Jim, we, keep I in like, mind that i'm not a monster i'm not a first generation uh dark shadows kid remember well, so I'm for a baby. That's right. You were I mean, I grew up with it was sort a present that either. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 when I was growing up, my mom watched it and I didn't. But I ended up into so many other things she was into. It's surprising I didn't. But it yeah. was only about a decade ago that I finally watched the show in full. I had watched like isolated episodes on Sci-Fi Channel before they stupidly named it Sci-Fi. And uh, and I didn't ever. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't have the context. I I was never what you'd call a fan because it was. I don't even know what I'm watching right now. Okay. Uh, without the like, you tune in for one episode of the Leviathan Arc, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but for, ten years ago is when I got the coffin that's sitting behind Danielle, and I uh, 
and, and you know so if i came into it in my 40s i think that right there says people are still coming into it and you're spreading the word to your fan friends too you have friends watching it now too which i have a mm -hmm. couple of friends who started getting into it also um, I, which i came into it in my 20s but mm -hmm. but <laughs> It was but I had a gateway drug. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I highly recommend marrying meeting and marrying somebody who's a huge Dark Shadows fan because yeah, I don't know if if that had never happened. I don't yeah. I would know what it is, I would understand what it is, and I would understand its place mm. in pop culture, but I probably wouldn't have done a book, you know, mm -hmm. on it and and you know, uh so that really helped to have somebody very, very excited about the show, you know, as sure. your companion yeah. in life. Um, <laughs> one thing in terms of keeping Dark Shadows on the map that is a challenge, I think, too, um, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, when I went to the 2016 San Diego Comic-Con, there was, uh, it was the anniversary of Star Trek and of Batman 66, and there was Batman 66 and Star Trek stuff everywhere zero dark shadows stuff like i mean i think there was a panel there were hermes press did a panel and i think lara and catherine were there i'm pretty sure but that's it um and i mentioned this before and will mckinley who's been on the podcast pointed out that you know batman and star trek have huge corporations backing behind Thank them you. dark shadows is owned by dan curtis's daughters yeah. so there is it's not owned by this yeah. big company it all depends on who's behind it and pushing it and that's the, that's, and that's a, exactly what that was all about yeah and it's tough i mean it's difficult how you know they don't have that kind of you know capital or whatever to push dark shadows into this keep it in the spotlight in that same way and that yeah. can be a challenge so it is kind of up to us i mean it's on tubi it's easily it's accessible yeah. you can watch it but in terms of like promoting it and keeping it in they, the zeitgeist they need to have disney buy it Oh no, <laughs> Disney Dark Shadows. It would be just. It would be like the Haunted Mansion. It would. What, what? That's all I could think of. I don't know what a Disney Dark Shadows would be like. Well, that uh, would then. Then I don't want to think of it. Disney yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Josette. You know, it's a shame too because if you think about the the the, the storylines in Dark Shadows, outside of Dark Shadows, Dracula is still popular. Frankenstein yeah. is still popular. I mean, the mummy kind of faltered, but it keeps coming back. Um, and I know that they didn't do the mummy, but I mean, I'm talking about universal monsters. The mm -hmm. idea is that these 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 classic monster types are still popular. Sure. Right? Ghosts will always be popular. You just mentioned Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansions are so popular. Yeah. So it, with the right backing and the right the right marketing, Dark Shadows could end up popular because it has so many elements that are still popular. The problem is it is a soap opera. And for a lot of people, that is a stop. That that's that's the barrier. I, I think know. part of the reason I didn't watch it for so many years is because even though I grew up watching horror from day one, it's a soap opera. There's and I don't stigma. think I recognize that I want, you know, it, you know, it's funny because you can't say I'm gonna watch all of you know uh guiding light unless you can figure out how to become immortal, right? <laughs> so just because there's so much of it, but you can say I'm gonna watch 1217 minute episodes. Yeah. It, it, you can do it in half a year. Uh, but it's still daunting. It's just to set out to do that is still really daunting. Yeah. Uh once you start doing it you get pulled in, you get hooked. 
And that's how I think they need to market it. They need to make it clear that in an era in which streaming channels have made binge watching the way to watch everything, there's nothing more binge worthy than a 1200 episode ongoing tale. Yeah. And and that's wise (laughs) that MPI markets it as a serial or a series. They don't, and I rarely invoke the phrase soap opera on, on the podcast just because there's a, there's a stigma attached to it. And you just, yeah. You just confirmed. I mean, it's people, if they, horror fans, if they hear, oh, it's a soap opera, they're like, what? I'm going to watch a soap opera. But if you say, oh, it's a like an ongoing story about mm-hmm. vampires and werewolves and witches yeah. and uh, ghosts. That's and why I ultimately watched it in the end, because mm-hmm. I wanted that aspect of it. Yeah. And then I got pulled into the soap operatic stuff. Totally. Yeah. You get, you I was get sucked along into the whole all ride. of that. Yeah. There, there's also the stigma of, of it beginning in black and white. And I'm discovering that with Doctor Who. Yeah. Because uh, for the podcast, we started from the very beginning. And, you know, we're putting out our, our episodes of our podcast and we're trying to get people, you know, listen to it and to start to see like, oh, I don't really want to watch that really old. Like, like, you know, the first few years of it are in black and white. Like, it's on video and the special effects are bad. Yeah. 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 I yeah, hear all, all of all that of too. It. Why, yeah. boy, does that, you know, that's, the more I think about it, it's it's just so many parallels to Dark Shadows that, yeah. that early Doctor Who, yeah. De- definitely, de- definitely. Uh, I've, that's been mentioned on this podcast several times. There, there's a, definitely a kinship there. Um, in fact, I have friends who are huge Doctor Who fans and they can't do Dark Shadows. And I'm like, you're watching these like old Doctor Who episodes. It's not a far cry from from. Dark, early yeah, dark I'm, I'm doing it i'm doing yeah, it i yeah. you know here i am i'm okay yeah, yeah i think during uh, the height of the pandemic i i marathoned both doctor who and dark shadows to keep myself sane wow. everything from wow. cardinal to uh to um capaldi and then whitaker wow. uh, so yeah so it it, it it was it was pretty wild it's a lot of doctor uh, who <laughs> yeah i just I, I, and, and it's they're both still just such amazing shows yeah yeah but those think, early seasons, Jim, are a little tougher to get through when you're marathoning it. I I I yeah. totally see what you're saying. You know, I just yeah. watched the underwater menace, and that was not <laughs> not the greatest. Yeah, some of them are like, wow, okay, yeah, yeah. And I watched them all, including the reconstructions of the ones that are missing. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I went, please, John Pert, we can't get here fast enough. And I <laughs> love, love Hartnell and Troughton. Troughton's one of my favorites. But yeah. getting through those missing episodes is tough. They, they yeah. use so the audio, it, right? With They animate it with the audio, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, yeah some I'm, of them are animated. Some of them are just stills on the set. I'm um, right in the a couple worst of, entra- of it oh, right now. What, what's that? I'm, I'm right in the worst of it right now. <laughs> yeah. There's that you know, stretch where it's, where it's, it's like so many missing, missing yeah. episodes. They call <laughs> but, them telesnaps because they had yeah, a guy out in the set taking multiple. Oh, we're really lucky that exists. And yeah. and fans were sitting at home recording it on real. To, they there were fans that recorded every single episode, and that's why we have the audio today, not because of the BBC. And this is funny because right. because my my person uh that did the same thing she had a reel-to-reel recorder and she re- she recorded dark shadows episodes yeah because how else how else would you revisit them sure you know, i mean then? jim that's the subject of my of my afterward in your book <laughs> that that when i grew up my mom and her friend ed had used to revisit dark shadows after recording it on pbs on audio cassette 
-hmm. And so I would be there and they would talk about the creepy oh. vampire and the beautiful witch. And I had, and they had these things they would always talk about. Yeah. And they were just, it was, they were gushing the way we would gush about the latest MCU or Star Trek. Stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. But they Are were you... only listening to it. They watched all of it, but they were like, they would sit there like over the tape recorder <laughs> listening, you yeah. know, and, and I love it, it. this is, yeah. So yeah, I totally get where you you're could, coming from. You could get some of those from uh, back in, in the day, the last, year of dark shadows is not available in syndication so you could i got a couple of tapes of the 1840 storyline that way from fans that had recorded it and yeah. uh it's how we have the one lost episode of dark shadows we have the audio for it uh yeah. because a fan uh rec had recorded we are it. so lucky it's just yeah. one yeah it's right? amazing it's just one it's just one just yeah one. but we have the audio for it thanks to josette and uh, for that one episode laura parker uh filmed a uh scene where she's sitting as angelique describing the action yeah okay. yeah and then it cuts to the audio and you see images they show pictures mm -hmm. and okay. then um but when well, I was we're lucky kid, if the bbc had done it the entire show would be missing i was gonna yeah. say yeah. They, they were just you know wholesale wiping tapes right yeah. right when i was a kid i used to also record um the monsters and the Adams family on audio cassette so I could mm. listen to them whenever I wanted. So yes. I mean, it was previous yard days. Hey, so I would hey just... kids, the struggle is real. Yeah. <laughs> that's, great. That's, what we, that's the way we rolled back then. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and I think it's difficult too for current generations perhaps to look at these shows in the proper context i think people have a tendency like charles said you know kind of people poo-pooing the the special effects or that it's in black mm -hmm. and white like you were saying jim too and it's like you have you have to put yourself in the mindset i think of what things were like at that time and suspend disbelief and i think a lot of people have difficulties suspending disbelief yes. i'd rather see a practical effect even if it doesn't come off as well versus you know some cgi thing that's just kind of yeah. There's no uh, heart in it, I guess, when it was a lot of the times of the scene. Not always. I shouldn't say that like across the board with CGI stuff, but sometimes it's just you're watching. I feel like I'm watching a video game and I'm like, well, yeah, you know. That's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Try explaining to somebody underage, say 30, what a photo novel is. <laughs> <laughs> but like, just like what you were describing with the audio cassettes, those photo novels had real purpose because if yeah. you couldn't find star trek or 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 you know yep. whatever movie it was you liked that like close encounters if you couldn't find it on your local tv broadcast but you had a book with 600 photo stills yeah. it was like re-experiencing the movie now there'd be not much of a point in putting out photo novels but back then it was vital and that's yeah. something vital. that has kind of gone the way of the dodo yeah yeah yep absolutely well i think the uh lack of other types of media for Dark Shadows also hurts it because Star Trek, Batman, you've got comics, you've got animated series, there are novels, there are, you know, there's tons of stuff out there. Yeah. Dark Shadows, we're not getting a lot of new material. And, right? and that's a great segue just to close things off here. I recently had um, Catherine Crestman and uh, Stephen Mark Rainey on the podcast and I mentioned to them, Jim, your uh, uh, idea of uh, a Dark Shadows fiction anthology and that you had pitched it at one time and it was, it was, they gave a thumbs down on that idea, which breaks my heart because 
I think that would be amazing. And they were both excited about the idea too. Uh, so I would love to see a Dark Shadows fiction anthology come out with. Well, when Jim was talking about that, he and mm -hmm. I discussed it. And it's, yeah. you know, I've edited several anthologies now. I know everyone. That's the running mm -hmm. joke. Charles knows everyone. <laughs> That's true. It's, I it's could get every i could get tons of actual horror writers to do new dark shadow stories tomorrow folks look if you want something like this make some noise you know on social media or uh i i don't know if this kind of stuff gets back to you know jim pearson or whatever but if if you are in touch with jim pearson and uh put the bug in his ear you know that there, this is a this would be such a cool thing and i don't know hermes press has been doing dark a lot of dark shadows reprints i don't know if they have the rights to do fiction releases but i suspect they might now because they i mean they just did a coloring book which was not a reprint of vintage material which i know that's not a, a fiction book but it's something new so that tells me maybe they could do more new things so they, i recently spoke to, to jim pearson and i oh sorry what no, go ahead, Rich. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I recently uh, spoke with Jim Pearson, and I brought up the idea of a fiction anthology and the same reaction. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like what we were up against when we did the Planet of the Apes fiction anthology, and that yeah. barely got through because because we kept being told over and over again that anthology fiction anthologies don't sell. Which was maddening, because we had such a good lineup of writers and the book was really well received. We we hardly got anything negative said about us in the reviews, yeah. and there were that we had we had an entire lineup ready to saying put me in in the second book, and I'm sure we would have kept being. I, I was one of those. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah. Uh, and yeah, well, what Titan told us was we love the book. We'd love to do more. There's just no market for it, for fiction anthologies. Well, I don't. I don't. See I don't get it. Actually, hurts. You know, I mean, obviously, a company wants something to sell. They're going to sink some money into it, and and I get that. But but if it's not like a if it's not a blockbuster seller, then kind of so what? You're you know, it's another way to keep the property alive, right? Uh, have you guys seen or, what they're doing with the Conan stuff now, where they're going to have short yeah. stories and uh, uh, novellas on just online? They're not yeah. published. They're just yeah. ebooks. But if they do well, they'll collect them. Look yeah. how many hundreds and hundreds of short stories there are for Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And every well, time they put out a new one, it's it, it, it you know people yeah. clamor to read it. Yep. If you yeah. market it right, there's definitely a, mar a market for short. Yeah, stories. I definitely yeah. I agree. Catherine At the very said, least, you're going to please your fan base if it's done well. Right. You know, luckily, Rich and I, we, we did it right. And and the, I like to the think so, yeah. fan base <laughs> literally embraced it like crazy. Yeah. We still get people to this day going, when is volume two coming out? To this yeah. day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What yeah. was that, six years ago? Yeah. Something like I mean, that. Yeah. I yep. mean, it's it would be incredible. Um Kat, I know Catherine and, and uh Mark both expressed interest in that. I'm sure Mark DeWitziak probably would would be in on Greg, that. Greg I mean Fox wanted to do it. Yep. There you go. The fans of Dark Shadows are for sure are going to buy it. And then I think beyond that, I think you're going to get a lot of horror and pop culture fans that are going to yeah, be interested. Because there's in a lot of crossover too. there. Many, many of my fellow horror writers are big Dark Shadows fans. Yeah. And so, their readers would buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm disappointed, Rich, that Jim was didn't seem that 
enthusiastic about that idea because I think it would be a cool thing. And it also keeps dark shadows active in, in that way, you know, um, like Charles Rich, was saying. Rich, did he, does he actually have the ability to do it? That I don't know. I could ask him. Okay. That, that I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they tend to break up pieces of rights like that so mm -hmm. whereas Hermes maybe you know can reprint the you know the um the original novels they may not be able to do anything new it, it the new fiction the rights may literally not be anywhere mm -hmm. at the yeah. moment you know they may literally still be with you know Curtis Productions or or whatever Sorry. I wonder Which is I... a shame because I actually, you know, I read those five uh, non-Marilyn Ross books during the pandemic as well. I read the Marilyn Ross book. I went nuts. I, I really immersed myself. But uh, I um I read I read all of the Marilyn Ross books and I was like. Then they, then they the set you to Wincliffe after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's funny with those books. There are five that are pre-Barnabas. And then there's, I think it's five. And then. 27 of exactly the same book after that because yeah. once Barnabas shows up every single book is you know the the, the man with the with the, with the Inverness coat shows up and the woman goes ah and then yeah. he you know I, I cannot be with you I must be alone and then and, and then there's somebody evil and half the time it's Quentin and half the time it's not and uh and then it's always the same so like somehow I sat there and just barreled through all 32 of these books and I laughed about the fact that after Barnabas showed up, I was always reading the same book over, <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. But then I got Let's to the vampire. These are fun. I mean, there there were decisions made that I, I didn't agree with, but I really enjoyed all five of them. I did, like you all, did you read all of Lara's? Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. Lara's oh, okay. and that's Stevens, okay. Stevens, uh, uh, uh Dreams uh, of the Dark. Mark, Mark Rainey's, yeah, his book was good. And then there's a second one that's, that he wrote that was never published that he put online. I read that and I thought that was pretty good too. Oh yeah, that the Quentin one. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep, yep. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, I think these are good. If they, if if they, even even when things, when even when there's missteps where I go, yeah, I don't know, may, may, maybe describing uh, Grayson as being hideously ugly was not a nice thing to do. <laughs> who said? Uh, who describes? Uh, who did that? Well, okay. so okay, so here's uh -oh. the thing. I, I, uh -oh. I, I, Kenny's on the warpath now. No, no, I'm yeah. just Who like that's that? not not that's not a nice thing to say. I adore <laughs> Laura Parker. That's not true. Have. Oh, Laura said her, that. <laughs> so her in one of her books, she she basically like kept describing how beautiful Angelique was and how how Julia was not, and I kept reading this going, <laughs> given that you're Angelique and Julia was your friend in real life, maybe that wasn't very. <laughs> oh nice, no. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like. <laughs> Well, you know what they, that. Rich, you know what they say. <laughs> History is written by the by the winners. The winners. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, <so>. um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll see new things like this anthology. I would love to see this happen. Um, Charles mentioned like, the idea of a cartoon was pitched at one time mm -hmm. years ago to Dan Curtis Productions when Dan was still alive, like a, an HBO uh, adult you know, a mature cartoon for Dark Shadows, which I thought would have been kind of cool because you could have yeah. had the actors and uh, my friend Eric Marshall uh, for the anniversary of Dark Shadows a couple of years ago, I, we released this uh, 
Dark Shadows is a Hanna-Barbera cartoon in the 70s uh, animation, yeah. sells phony animation uh, art. So I posted that on my blog over at the Terror at Collingwood blog. If you haven't seen it, Eric is an incredible artist. He did the the logo for this podcast and he did like this dead on Hanna-Barbera designs for for the characters they're, they're amazing yeah it, it was <laughs> almost like or like filmation you know yes yeah exactly yeah. yep those that are whole, amazing that whole vibe yeah we're um, in an era where you could do that easily now that's why i would love to see that look look at how they've reanimated the lost doctor who's yeah, yeah. there you go oh golly yeah yeah, yeah. so they you should do that with the lost re- episode of dark shadows that would be awesome i, I wish they would I mean, yeah. heck, you could take the uh, the big okay. finish audio cast of Dark Shadows, <laughs> yeah. get an animating team, and you could continue the show wow. with those actors. We can rebuild Jim them. Want it we have the technology. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's <laughs> what they've been talking about. Guy yeah. Haynes mentioned recently, you know, because of the uh, Darren Gross, who's has all the footage, you know, put together the footage for uh, Night of Dark Shadows, the Lost footage to release ideally eventually the director's cut of night of dark shadows there is some missing audio and they got the original surviving actors back to spot the missing audio but they don't grayson sadly is no longer with us and they were going to recast grayson but now with ai you could probably do that with ai uh if you have good ai and you do sample grayson hall's voice you can probably do it um i recently listened it was uh an AI version of Johnny Cash singing Barbie Girl. And I was it sounded just like Johnny Cash. It was crazy. So funny. It was crazy. So I mean it's amazing the things they can do now. I love the idea of animating that lost episode. That's mm-hmm. just genius. Oh my gosh. Love they should totally idea. get on that. I'm sure it would cost it probably would not might not be cheap, but with the I don't know, with the technology now that the things that you can do. I mean, I've seen Dark Shadows fans animating little Dark Shadows cartoons. I think it's Emster on the Dark yep. Shadows Discord. She's been doing like these really cool Dark Shadows music videos with cartoon versions of the characters. And it's like kind of, you know, computer art, flash art, kind of, not flash. I don't know what they call it now. I have no idea, but it looks good. Uh, but I think if you did like a nice animated version of that lost episode that, that's audio, what the doctor who ones are they're mm-hmm. they're drawn more or less like cell animation but it's mm-hmm. it is still computer animation mm-hmm. um i just last night watched part uh one of the moon base rich and and i love the animation for that one sometimes you get uh, some of them they're not sometimes that it's a bit off yeah yeah but, that but, one was really really fun and i really yeah. enjoyed it yeah. And the truth is, every one of them is better than watching telesnaps. <laughs> like I, I hope we eventually have them all like that because then, then I'm gonna have to just bite the bullet and rewatch it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say that as if that was a bad thing. <laughs> it's just, it's just a lot, you know. It's like, um, yeah, it's a you. lot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it would not be a bad thing. I, I'm actually kind of itching for another Doctor Who marathon. It's been, I mean, um, uh, Dark Shadows marathon. Uh, it's been, it's been two years, and I'm kind of itching to do it again now. There you go. Uh, maybe it will inspire <laughs> you to write a Dark Shadows piece for the anthology that, that we're going to will into existence. Um, <laughs> um, so in closing, uh, we, we got to jump out of here, but can well, we hear about anything new that you guys uh, have coming out or that's available now? Uh, anything you want to plug here? Okay, I have, uh, I have a Star Trek book coming out. To cool. talk about yeah another gr- big huge genre franchise um so it's it'll be the fifth volume of the same series that the Dark Shadows book is in 
uh, uh, Running Home to Shadows was volume three of Memories from Today's Grown-Up Kids. And uh, Galloping Around the Cosmos will be volume five of that same series. And it's uh, 25 uh, different essayists uh, talking about their childhood memories of, of watching classic Star Trek for the first time. Uh, I'm about halfway through the editing, so uh, I uh, it'll be fall, you know, hopefully by the end of this month. This is the beginning of September, so hopefully by the end of September, uh, the book will be out. Um, you can, you'll see it on Amazon, um, and then if you hop over on Facebook to the Jim Beard and Becky Books page, you're, you're going to see all the updates uh, on it there, and, and Rich is in that book. I don't know how he could not be. <laughs> Unlike Dark Shadows, that really was that was something I was basically born watching. So yeah, yeah. I, I had to be in that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, a book I, Lou Tambone and I uh, co-edited called "The Man Who Laughs: Exploring the Clown Prince of Crime" oh, uh, just cool. came out. It's about it's, the Joker. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's about the Joker, and there are nice. a lot of there. Bob Rosakis and 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 Steve Englehart, and 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 there's a lot of people in this that are. Just, I can't believe we got them, uh, but that that's out from um, from Crazy Eight Press. Uh, I've got two books coming out, one very soon, one next year from Bear Manor Media. Uh, the first is Born on the Bayou, a pre-Flashpoint chronology of Swamp Thing and Hellblazer. Nice. Um, which is in the uh, same vein as a bunch of timeline books that I wrote years ago. Uh, I I can't believe I wrote another one because honestly, there's so much work. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but I had this thing sitting on my uh, in my head and on my laptop for almost 20 years, and I kept coming back to it. And it's 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 a look at every single appearance of Swamp Thing and its spinoff Hellblazer. Uh, before DC revamped everything with Flashpoint. And it's about a thousand comics that are discussed. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is a book also from Bear Manor uh, that I'm currently working on uh, about the history of Star Trek and comic book form. Right. The only other thing I could think of that I'm currently, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I write, I'm, I've been writing for, um, uh, for, Star, for Titan Books, uh, Star Trek Explorer Magazine. And um, I'm doing other stuff with Jim that's not announceable yet. Okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> Very groovy. And Charles, what about you? I, I've had a lot of stuff released in the last couple of months. There are two sword and sorcery anthologies. There's Swordplay, which was edited by Dan Brereton, Allison Pang, and James A. Moore. And then there's Swords in the Shadows, which was edited by Cullen Bunn. And both of those are, you know, heroic fantasy Conan sort of oh, things. Great. Features one of my continuing characters, Karn, the immortal barbarian. Um and then I'm also in the Joe Lansdale anthology, uh, The Drive-In Multiplex, edited by Christopher Golden and Brian Keene. And then from Pavan Press, which is Cliff Biggers and I, we just released Lonely Hollows, which is a, a collection of folk horror. And uh, uh, Becky Beard has a story in that uh, anthology. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, it's very cool. That's wonderful. Wow. So, yeah, and, and I've got a bunch of other stuff, as as, uh, as Ruth was saying, most some of it I can't talk about. So there's stuff, and it's happening. So Hollywood pitch, Karn shows up at Collinwood. That kind of already <laughs> happened. 
there is a story called All My Sins, which is in Thinly Veiled, the 70s, a book that was uh, Castle of Horror. And in that story, Karn shows up at a mansion in Maine where one of the people who lives there is a vampire, but he's now a human. But some of the people he turned have shown up and have a bone to pick, as it were. Oh, so cool. You, you can kind of read a, a Karn Barnabas crossover if you squint and use your Barnabas. imagination. <laughs> Uh, I think oh, his name was uh, anymore tonight. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what I what I called him, but it wasn't Barnabas. It was it was, but I think it was. Uh, I know his last Car- name was Carnabus. Carnabus Bowens. No, his last name was Calkins, <laughs> and it was okay. Barab- It was Barabbas. Oh, Barabbas. sure, right, yeah, Barabbas Calkins. I actually so, like the name Carnabus, like Carnivore. Carnabus, right? yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I forget where I came up with that, but he's been around since I was a kid. So a lot of my characters were created when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I will put links in the show notes to the three uh, of your websites uh, so folks can check out all of your work. Um, and it's so much amazing stuff to explore and to get lost in and to enjoy. And um, I really want to thank my three guests today, uh, Jim, Rich, and Charles for uh, joining me uh, on the podcast to talk about Dark Shadows and many other wonderful things. Uh, and uh, thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. Really oh, enjoyed it. My pleasure. We'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. And for as long as they lived, the Dark Shadows never truly vanished. For there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.